This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. This is part two of the habit that cost $100 million to learn and why it was worth it. In part one, we reviewed Keith's story. What happened? How he had lost $100 million and the one habit he formed that made it all worthwhile. The habit of thinking time. Having time where you purposefully sit down with a great question, a question like, if my business could talk, what would it say about me? Questions like, am I an A player? And to truly evaluate if you are showing up in the world as the highest level. Questions like, what assumptions am I currently making? These are questions that so many of us do not ask, yet when we do slow down and reflect on the answer, incredible clarity comes. The reason that we are releasing this episode, it came out a year ago, is because for a year, I have intentionally been forming a habit around thinking time. It's truly changed how I've showed up as a leader. It's changed how I show up as a business owner, a husband, a father, a person. Anytime when you find yourself lacking clarity, instead of just blindly taking action, and as Keith would call it, running enthusiastically in the wrong direction, you slow down. You ask a question, you search for the answer, and you have a plan to put in place. It's a surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results, folks. So in this episode, we dive into some of the biggest mistakes that we make as a result of not having thinking time blocks. It's why when Gary and Jay in The One Thing talk about time blocking, one of the three things they suggest that every person time blocks is planning time. Time to sit down with great questions, to reflect on where you've been, and based on that, to plan where you need to go. If you would like to have your hand held in some more structure around what this looks like based on the one thing, head over to the onething.com slash training. That's with the number one in the URL, the onething.com slash training. We'd advise you to scroll down to the foundation course section and you will see a course called Get Results with the 411. This is One of the best courses that I think we have out right now because it solves a real problem that many of us have. Uh, We lack clarity on what our priorities are this week and we're unclear on how what we do this week lines us up to accomplish what we want to accomplish this month that puts us on track to accomplish what we need to accomplish this year professionally and personally. And if you live inside a larger organization, it creates alignment with other people. It all starts by going to the onething.com slash training, scrolling down to the foundation course section, and checking out the Get Results with Your 411 course. And for those of you, if you are a leader inside an organization, also check out the corporate training section where you can learn more about the workshops that we can facilitate inside your world, as well as how you can certify some of your employees to take the one thing and make it part of their culture. With that, let's get into part two of the habit that cost $100 million to learn and why it was worth it with author Keith Cunningham. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like Breakfast on the Go, 
lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash O-N-E-5-0 and use code O-N-E-5-0 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Distinguishing the problem from the symptom. Mm. Is that the correct way to phrase it? It is. And ultimately building the wrong machine. Mm. So go, go into this because this just further illustrates the need to having time for you to think, to ask the right questions and getting clarity. What does it mean to distinguish the problem from the symptom? I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to actually do this with me when I ask this question. I want you to write down right now on your piece of paper one of the three biggest problems that you have. Let's let's keep it to business, even though you might have health challenges or relationship challenges. Let's let's keep it in the business context. Uh, Write down, if, if you're sitting with other people right now, write it really, really small. Put your hand over it so nobody can see. I'm not going to ask you to share this with anybody. This is only for you. What is one of the three biggest problems you currently have with your business? You're just writing right now. You're just writing it down. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, that's enough. Time's up. You did a great job, by the way. Uh, you, You started writing down. Many of you are still writing right now because you think this assignment It's all about writing down the problem when in reality, all I ask you to do, really what I want you to do is just think about it. All of us have an is line. This is the way it looks. This is reality. This is the way it looks. And most of us don't tell the truth about what is, which is one of the problems. Forty-something years ago, I was at the University of Texas. That's where I went to school. And every day I walked past the tower and etched in granite over the door to the library was a phrase you've heard and I've heard a thousand times. I read it every day for five years. And the saying is, you should know the truth and the truth will set you free. We've all heard that. And for five years, I looked at that and said, that's probably the dumbest thing I've ever read. What, what in the world does that mean? What does it mean you should know the truth and the truth will set you free? What does that mean? Really and truly, most of us haven't thought about that. I had to think about that years later after I lost a lot of money. And I figured out that, that as long as you're not telling the truth, you don't have choices. As long as you're lying to yourself, you're not going to make a change. Alcoholics don't stop drinking as long as they think they don't have a problem. It's not till they admit they have a problem. So kind of being honest with what really is, what's the truth? This is reality. All of us have another line, which is called the ought line, is and ought. Is is the way it looks. Ought is the way I'd like for it to look. We're really good at this one. We're really good at vision boards and mission statements and all that other stuff of 
of the law of attraction. If we just can get clear enough, this is goal setting. These are targets. This is saying, well, at the beginning of the year, well, our goal for 2018 is to increase revenues by 47%, which is probably one of the most intergalactically stupid things that anybody can say. What do you mean your goal? If you don't have a yellow brick road on how to get from where you are to 47% increase, it's wishful thinking. That's all most people's goal setting is, is wishful thinking. They step on the bathroom scales, they weigh five pounds too much, and they go, oh, God, I wish I weighed five pounds less. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll make that a goal. That's about how much thought goes into most people's goals is they say, oh, I wish, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll make it a goal. This is what is, this is what ought. The difference is what you just wrote down on your piece of paper four minutes ago when I asked you to think about one of your three biggest problems. You very quickly said, where am I? Where would I like to be? And that's my problem. Hmm. Every one of us does it. It's one of the biggest mistakes we make is that we define our problems by comparing where we are to where we'd like to be, when in reality, the difference between where we are and where we'd like to be is not a problem, it's a symptom. Let me give an example. I thought of where we are revenue-wise, I thought of where I'd like us to be revenue-wise, and one of the problems I wrote is that revenue gap. The revenue is not, the, the gap in revenue is not the problem, it's the symptom of the problem. There you go. That's exactly it. We say things like, I don't have enough revenue. Okay, so the problem must be that not enough people know about me. So I need to, you know, amp up my social media digital strategy. Enough people know about me, but they're, uh, my price is too high. We start making up this huge story that somehow explains the gap, when in reality, this is not the problem. This is the symptom. The problem is right here. This is where the problem is. What is it that is really preventing my is line from moving? What is it that is preventing my is line from moving? What can I do today to improve my situation, ordinary things, consistently done, produce extraordinary results. Say that again. Ordinary things, consistently done, produce extraordinary results. What can I do today to improve my situation? What is the thing that's blocking me? So, you know, a great example might be I say, well, all right, I want to lose five pounds. And so my problem is I weigh five pounds too much. What I that's not that's not the problem. That's a symptom. I kn I know it's a symptom because my answer is going to be tactical. Hmm. As soon as I come up with a tactical answer, I haven't found the core problem. Symptoms. Anytime you come up with a tactical answer, it's a result of you've identified the symptom and not the problem. So I say I weigh five. My problem is I weigh five pounds too much. So what do I need to do about it? Oh well, should I join a gym, or should I buy a jump rope, 
or do I need a new elliptical trainer in my home uh, gym? Do, do I need a new pair of Nikes? Do I, what, 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 needs to ha- do, what needs to happen here? And so every one of those is a tactical solution. And the reason it's tactical is because I've identified the symptom. Uh, here's another way to say this. You can check and see whether or not the answer you've come up with is the right answer by saying, if I had 100 of them, if I had 100 pair of Nike tennis shoes, if I belonged to 100 gyms, if I had 100 elliptical trainers in my house, if I just had Oprah's newest diet book, if I just had that, okay, well, if I had 100 diet books, would that solve the problem? No. Which means that's not the answer. That's not the answer. The reason that I weigh five pounds too much has absolutely nothing to do with a lack of elliptical trainer, jump rope, Oprah's new diet book, or not belonging to 100 gyms. They're not connected. Look at most people who weigh five pounds too much. They know what to do. That's not the problem. The problem is something else. So how do we identify what the problem really is? The vast majority of my thinking time is around getting clarity on the problem that I'm solving for. Otherwise, I build a machine for the problem that isn't. Say that again. The vast majority of my thinking time is spent trying to identify the core root problem. Otherwise, I wind up building a machine for the problem that isn't. And your attic is full of unused exercise equipment, Nike tennis shoes, diet books, expired gym memberships, all in the irrational belief that the problem was I weighed five pounds too much, and so what do I need to do about it? I need to join a gym. That's why most of our lives don't change. It's why we don't achieve the success that we want is because we've done a poor job of identifying the obstacle that's in the way. The key to being successful in business is figuring out the obstacle that needs to be overcome and then marshalling the people, the resources, the execution, the team in order to overcome that obstacle. What are some questions people can consider during their thinking time to get clarity on what the obstacle is? That is such a good question, and it is contained. The, the answer is contained in, for sure, the first four chapters of this book. But I'll give you a couple of examples. You could ask the question, how did this get to be a problem to begin with? What, if I could only blank, I could put a serious dent in this problem. Fill in that blank. If I only had blank, I could put a serious dent in this problem. The first question is skills. The second question is resources. What could I do to make this problem worse (laughs) is a great way 
to begin getting some clarity around what is the core root problem, really. Hmm. Really and truly. And it's, it's some of the hardest work I do. Because my tendency is just like everyone else's. My tendency is to find an obvious answer that's very tactical and then go execute on that answer as opposed to get clarity about, forget about the answer for a minute. Can I get clarity around the obstacle that's actually in the way? Well, I think this goes to support what you said earlier. We ask a question and we crave an answer so desperately the moment we get it, we stop thinking, we start acting. When you look at most business owners, most entrepreneurs, are they fast movers or slow movers? They're very fast. They're very fast, right. We want it done yesterday. So we get the answer and immediately we go looking for the tactics of it without ever diagnosing what the real obstacle is that's preventing the growth. And then we go and build a machine that doesn't actually solve the problem. Which is a waste of time and a waste of resources, which is why most people don't make forward progress. If we're going to make forward progress, let's make sure that we're allocating our resources, both our time and our money. Gary, in his work and the one thing, and that's such an important concept, is how do we, how do we figure out what is the most important thing and how do we marshal our resources and control our calendar and set the priorities so that the one thing, the most important thing that will allow us to overcome the obstacle or the most important thing that we can achieve that will move the needle is the thing that gets our bandwidth and our our focus. And the problem is we fall into the trap of being busy instead of productive. It's, it's every entrepreneur's downfall is the idea that if, my God, look how hard I'm working. I'm sleeping on a cot in my office under my desk. I, I look, how, look how hard I'm working. And it's not about working hard. Although having a strong work ethic is critical. I don't want to minimize that. It's just not the most important thing. It's doing the most important thing. There you That's go. the most important thing. There you go. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons I like Gary's book so much. Uh, me too. If you like Gary's book, you're going to love this one. Well, they, they, they rhyme with each other in a lot of ways. Well, let me underscore this because uh, I figured out that, again, when I looked at Gary and asked how did he get there, he has mastered the ability of attracting top, top talent into his world, A-plus players, and keeping them inside his world. Now that's big, that's the 57th domino, right? That's the domino that you knock down and reaches almost from the earth to the moon. When you ask the question, what's the one thing I can do, such that by doing it would make attracting A-plus talent and keeping it inside my world easier or unnecessary, coach them to their possibilities when they might be fighting for their limitations. What's the one thing I can do to coach them to their possibilities? Ask great questions. What's the one thing I can do to ask great questions? I whittled it all the way down to my two-inch domino that I could do every day was ask one question a day when I normally would have told. Mm. Ask one question a day when I normally would have told, Mm. which then led to where do I get a mind bank of questions? So when I heard that you had 704 
deadly questions in this book, questions that are so big that you don't know the immediate answer. It makes you stop and go, hmm, great question. That's when I dove in, and that's why it's been on my nightstand along with the one thing ever since. So for those of you who are interested in going down a road to mastering asking great questions to developing the habit of having time to think, you may want to consider studying the book. (laughs) Silver platter, people. It's on it for you. Yeah, the heavy lifting has been done. The heavy lifting was uh, living and going through all of the mistakes for the last 45 years and then collecting those and getting them down on a piece of paper. So the good news is you don't have to make all those mistakes uh, in order to learn the lesson. Speaking of mistakes, what's the single biggest mistake someone can make when they want to develop the habit of thinking time? Yet they make this mistake and it stops them. I think the the question I get most frequently, I speak around the world to a number of business owners every year teaching. And the one mistake people make is they attempt to do it perfectly. They let perfect get in the way of possible. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you the number of people that say, tell me how you do thinking. And I have a chapter in here on how I do it and what the ritual is that I have for it. Big, big, big picture. The the key to being successful with thinking time is no different than the key to being successful at anything else you haven't done. And that is anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. We've been raised with the incredibly stupid idea that we've all heard a thousand times, anything worth doing is worth doing well. And that's dead wrong at the beginning. At the beginning, it's about doing it poorly. Not forever, only at the beginning. Let's do what's possible. And if all you'll do is sit with a question, I do it three times a week, I do it for 45 minutes a session. I've been at it for a while now, so I have 10,000 hours of thinking time under my belt. I've studied this, or thought about the same question frequently, more than once. Uh, there's some questions I got 50 different sessions into just trying to test and make sure. Or maybe I thought I had the answer and then went and executed and Turns out I hadn't really identified the core obstacle, and so I had to go back and start over. It's about setting aside 30 minutes, 15 minutes, five minutes. I've narrowed it down to as little as if I'm laying in bed, putting my head on the pillow about to go to sleep, and I realize that I haven't had my thinking time for the day, can I ask a question and at least find one answer? And if I do that, that is that earns an X on my 66 day challenge calendar because I'd rather have a level of progress versus the idea of perfection. I, I, I think I think that's incredibly insightful. I, I believe that the idea is improvement and how do I get better as opposed to a destination and when am I going to arrive? Uh, there's a number of things that separates masters from 
somebody that's simply good. And one of the things about masters is they never arrive at their destination. They're constantly looking for how do I improve? How do I get better? What needs to what needs to be polished or sanded, uh, repainted? Where's the maintenance need to be? What where do I need to put in some additional cycles? Very, very famous composer, pianist. I I happen to be a concert pianist. I play classical music. Uh, I used to. I do it less now. But writing a book cuts into a lot of extraneous Mm -hmm. activities. There's a very famous composer, pianist, who said, if I don't practice for one day, I notice. If I don't practice for two days, they notice. Mm. This idea of practicing and practicing to improve, I think is critical. I, I think one of the most powerful things I've done in my life, I think one of the most powerful things you could do in your life is to teach what you know. The fastest path to mastery is to teach what you've learned. It doesn't mean teach it perfectly. It just means what's possible. And if all that's possible is Five minutes at the end of the day, that's not perfect, it's not ideal, but it's it's better than nothing. Setting aside a few minutes with a big chief tablet, a pen, a great question at the top of the page, and let's start creating answers. Let's see, let's see what choices and possibilities there are. I, I happen to believe there is, I have five core beliefs as it relates to business. I believe there is no such thing as a natural business owner. I don't think they're born. I think there's no such thing as a natural investor. I don't think they're born. I don't think there's such a thing as a natural actor. I, I, I think they've polished their craft. They, they've practiced. One of my core beliefs is that anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. At the beginning, uh, I think most of us make the mistake of trying to do it well. I think trial and error is a incredibly poor way to learn anything. If I had to, I'm standing on, on people's shoulders right now. I promise you, Gary Keller is standing on some people's shoulders. People are standing on my shoulders right now. People are standing on their shoulders. We're all, nobody is self-made. We're all, we're all uh, standing on other people's uh, shoulders. What made me think of this is this other core belief, which is uh, the people with the best lives have the best choices. Mm -hmm. People with crappy lives have crappy choices. People with great lives have great choices. And what's required in order to create great choices is the ability to sit and quietly and think as opposed to immediately find something to do. We don't do enough thinking, never have. And so as a result, we wind up tired, exhausted, frustrated. We wind up lowering our expectations in order to somehow put some Novocaine on the pain of, I'm not going to get to where I wanted to get. And it's not a lack of ability. It's a lack of clarity. The problem that we have is not ability. It's clarity. Clarity about the obstacle. Clarity about the priorities. Clarity about the one thing. Clarity about 
protecting my calendar, making sure that I'm executing on the things that will actually move the needle. Mm -hmm. Focusing on answering a great question, knowing that this is not the time to check email. This is not the time to say yes when somebody stops by and asks if I got them. This is not the time to answer my phone. This is my time to think. How many minutes did you invest combined? Based on that, what's the most potent step you can take? There's a great exercise. I actually talk about it in the book in a chapter. And uh, the chapter is called You Inc. You <laughs> Inc. I N C. And the reality is, all of us are CEOs of our lives. We have in our in my life, just like in your life, there's finance and there's accounting and there's production and there's training and learning and training and learning, which is why you're listening and watching this. There's human resources. There's all these things that are exactly the same as in my businesses. In a business, if you're the CEO of a business, you have a board of directors. One of the problems we have as business owners is we don't, as human beings, is we don't tend to have a board. We don't have people on our personal board of directors like we would with our businesses. So an exercise that I think would be worthwhile for you to do would be to ask yourself this scenario. If you had a board of directors and they followed you around for the last week and watched every click of your mouse, watched the priorities that you set, watched how you allocated your time during the course of a day, and they watched you 24 hours a day. They knew everything that you did all day long for the last 20, uh, for the last seven days. If you had a board that was watching your level of performance, your intensity of performance, the question would be, would your board give you a raise? Would they give you a talking to, or would they terminate you as CEO? And here's the truth. Most of us, if we had a board and we told the truth about what we prioritize, the intensity level at which we approach the work that we're doing, the level of commitment, the level of focus, the level of prioritization, if most of us had a board, the best case is we get a severe talking to. That's the best case. Mm-hmm. Very few of us are working at the level at which we've earned the raise. It's a great exercise. At the end of the day, it all comes down to time, right? And this is something that when Gary and Jay and I put our heads together and ask the question, what are we actually doing? In this, What business are we in? We're in the business of time, helping people get clarity on it, helping them control it, helping them invest it, prioritize it. So here's where I'm going. Most people go through their days doing all the things that don't matter, hoping to free up time for the things that matter most. They work hard and they look up at the end of the day and ask, did I even get anything done? They look at their calendars and they see a parking lot for everyone else's priorities, not theirs. How do you schedule your time? I operate off of outcomes, like we talked about earlier, 
I have outcomes that are important to me for the year. Uh, I have outcomes that are important to me for the month uh, or the quarter, the support, um, perhaps the year. Um, And if I'm going to hit whatever outcomes I have, there's outcomes for the week. I tend to do really well with weekly thinking trying to slot my, um, control my calendar in five-minute increments, mm-hmm. which is what the president of the United States does, is uh, I don't have that kind of staff and that kind of uh, brain. So I tend to think in terms of weeks. Um, I, I have outcomes. I plan my week before it starts. Every week, I plan my week. I put the big rocks into my calendar in chunks, which is how I wrote this book. This book was actually, it was released in in January of this year, but it was actually started eight years ago. (laughs) And every year for eight years, uh, I would sit down, as a lot of people do with their New Year's resolutions, and I sit and say, okay, well, Keith, finish the book. And that became wishful thinking. And every year I wrote that down for seven straight years. And finally, 15, 18 months ago, I wrote down, I'm going to have this thing finished, my part of it, written by a date in April. And I did. But it's because I had a deadline and I then calendarized my week uh, so that I allocated chunks of time to writing the book. As long as I was thinking about it and wishing for it, but not getting translated into a calendar wasn't happening. For seven straight years, it did not happen. So can I repeat what I heard? Yep. What I did not hear you say is you wake up, ask what should I do today, don't have the immediate answer, open your email inbox, answer everyone else's priorities, and then bounce from meeting to meeting, checking email. And what I heard is you have clarity on outcomes that you want for the year. And based on that, you have clarity on outcomes for the month, which then drives your priorities for the week. And those priorities get large blocks of time on your calendar scheduled before anything else earns the right to have a spot. Before the week starts. Before the week starts. I'm, it's planned. I'm not medieval about it. I mean, you know, if something encroaches someplace, I'm going to, I'm going to, be flexible enough, but I'm not going to allow um, random urgent to get in the way of the outcomes and deliverables that I've prioritized. I'm going to stay. I'm going to keep it pretty tight. And my people around me, I've got helpers. I've got a lot of helpers, and my helpers know what my calendar looks like, and they help me. Uh, protect me from me. Uh, my, I, I have a saboteur. His name is Keith. <laughs> and that sucker wakes up every morning and tries to figure out, okay, how can, I, how can I put a dent in this guy's life? How can I make him limp, right? My biggest saboteur is not other people. My biggest saboteur is me. And so I got to be uh, constantly on guard yeah, uh, you know, that sounds like a big thing, but I'm aware, uh, not on guard. I'm aware that, look, there's some things that I have a tendency to, you know, the entrepreneurial instinct, take action very quick, make fast decisions. Don't think about second. Well, once I'm aware of that, 
The pro- here, here's the bumper sticker. The price of awareness is responsibility. Once I'm aware of it, I'm now responsible mm. for that particular outcome, that particular awareness. I can't be responsible if I'm not aware. If I'm not aware that I have bad breath, I, there's nothing I can do about it. But once I'm aware, oh, okay, well, now there's something I can do about it. The, 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 I'm aware that I have certain tendencies, and if left unguarded or unchecked, those tendencies are, are going to sabotage me. So how do I be thoughtful about how I'm going to approach achieving the outcomes I want? It's not, it's not, there's no miracle, there's no mystery in here. For sure, for sure, there is no secret. There are no secrets. There's just stuff you haven't learned yet. It's, it's not a secret about what it takes to be successful. You look at the people that are massively successful, it's not because they sat around and owned up some kind of vision for what they want it to look like. It's because they got off their butt, prioritized the appropriate thing, and went and consistently executed and had accountability. And I, that's the third leg of the stool for me. If somebody says to me, Keith, how do, how do you be successful? I say, all right, look, get clear on the outcomes. Get clear on the priorities. Set your calendar. Set it. Plan it. Be protected. And then have accountability. Without accountability, I think it's almost impossible to be successful. It's why you, you look at Michael Dell, Mark Zuckerberg, the Google Boys, Larry Ellison, Philip Knight, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs. You look at any of them. These were not a bunch of cowboys. They weren't out there just firing their gun at whatever moved. They had a board of directors that they were accountable to, and Steve Jobs screwed it up so bad they fired him because he was not doing it the right way. And it wasn't until he learned the lesson that they brought him back. And Steve's success is not from what he started. It's from what he built. Starting a business is about the easiest thing to do. Any idiot can start a business, and most idiots do. The key is not starting one. The key is, can I build one? And that requires skills and tools. It's about how you do it, not what you do. I'm on a rant. I like it, though. I like I put the quarter and let it go. The aha that I have, if I'm putting myself in, in your shoes, is asking the question, where am I on the spectrum? From the person on one end who wakes up, asks, what am I going to do? Then goes into email and the rest of the day flies by to what you said. Clarity on outcomes that drives clarity on priorities, that drives what your calendar needs to look like, and then accountability based on the activities to accomplish the priorities, to accomplish the outcomes. Where do you fall on that scale? And at the end, regardless of where you fall, if you feel like you need to move more toward the version that Keith described, understand this is exactly what we have been teaching. It's everything that we've been doing in the membership. It's why we have the 411 on the website. If you aren't using a 411, it gives you clarity on your outcomes and priorities for the year. So you can drive your priorities for the month. So you can drive your priorities for the week. One thing.com with the number one, click on free stuff. It's free. What are you waiting for?
what do you think stops people from getting their key? Because it's when you say it like that, it's so simple, yet we have decades of habits of reacting throughout our days. How does someone begin to normalize the version that you described? Oh, man. I mean, there's so many answers, so many answers to that. It's so many. There's a, you know, a huge psychological level. Yeah. Uh, I think in order to achieve extraordinary success, it requires consistent execution of ordinary things. And I think where we fail is we tend to want the results that we want faster. We want it with the least amount of muss and fuss. We we want to put in the least and get the most. It, it's no secret why lotteries sell billions of dollars worth of tickets all the time. It's because there's a, a belief that I can put in two bucks and get back 500 million. Even though the odds are against you, people still play the lottery because there's a way to put a little in and maybe get a lot out. Now, the problem is you look at the number of people that win 500 million and it ain't going to happen. I mean, it ain't going to happen for me and you. It's going to happen to somebody, but it's, I mean, the odds are so stacked against you. I, I would I would simply say, maybe I can do this. I'm going to read something uh, that I brought with me, not knowing if we would get to this particular yes, place. This this will be really quick. Uh, I'll make sure I give you a copy, and then you can post it if you guys like it enough to use it later. Just listen to these words. I think they're very, very powerful. It's about three sentences. The master in the art of living. That's a great, that's a great beginning. That the master in the art of living makes little distinction between his work and his play, his labor and his leisure, his mind and his body, his information and his recreation, his love and his religion. He hardly knows which is which. He simply pursues his vision of excellence at whatever he does leaving others to decide whether he's working or playing. To him, he's always doing both. The key to that is your vision of excellence. Mm. And so if I was going to ask you to write down on a piece of paper, not what can you go do, because that list would be very long. Instead, I would ask you, what does your vision of excellence look like, either with your life or your relationship or your business, with your personal performance and the job that you currently have? What does excellence look like? And once you have clarity around that outcome of excellence, begin to design, okay, what needs to happen for that to happen? Probably the most single most powerful thing I ever heard was after I had lost a lot of money 
I took a sabbatical that lasted 18 months. Um, it was a healing time. I grew a ponytail. I got my ear pierced. I started reading religion and, and philosophy and theologies and all theologies. And I had a guru that I was studying under. This was a very, very wise teacher, very wise man. He taught me some incredible lessons, and he said something to me towards the end of our time together. I'll never forget. He looked looked straight at me, and he said, Keith, hell on earth would be to meet the man you could have been. That still makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I think about that every single day. Every single day for the last 27 years, I've thought about that statement. And I, my thought is, I want to be able to meet the man I could have been, look that guy in the eyeball and say, I know you because I am you. Who's the, who's the man? Who's the woman? Who's the person you could have been? and begin designing toward that level of excellence. I think the key to what you had talked about earlier on, you ever heard what Gary says about this, the number one reason people fail to live the one thing or achieve extraordinary results? They're unwilling to endure the monotony of success. Hmm. Everything we have talked about today from asking the question, who's the person I could have become, or the idea of doing thinking time or asking one question a day, Name any single thing that you've been inspired to take action on. We promise you the novelty will wear off. There will come a day where you do not want to have clarity on your outcomes, to ask what are my priorities, to have your calendar match your priorities. You will not want to sit down and do your thinking time. There will come the day because success is not about doing the latest shiny object. It's about being consistent on the things that matter most, enduring the monotony of success. So out of everything we've talked about for you, what's the one thing that you can do such that by doing it, everything else will be easier or unnecessary? Are you willing to whittle it down to a two-inch dominant that you can knock over so you don't let perfection get in the way of your possibilities? And are you willing to stick with it at least for 66 days? so that it can become a habit. So it happens with little to no effort. Because then you formed a power habit. People don't decide their futures, they decide their habits. Their habits decide their futures. Keith, where can people learn more about you and where can they get their copy of The Road Less Stupid? Because at this point, I'm pretty sure they, they know they need to get it. You do need this book. It's it's a good one. Rest assured, my net worth does not go up or down depending upon whether or not you do or don't buy it. So this is for you. Um, you can go to our website, keys to the vault, keys to the vault.com. Uh, you can email us at info at keys to the vault.com. Certainly you can Google me, Keith J. Cunningham, and All of my websites and books and stuff I teach will pop up. You can call us uh, at 512-231-9944. Email us at info at keys to the vault. If all you want is the book, you can get it from us. You can get it from Amazon. Uh, They're more than happy to 
help you. It's audible at this point. Is it? Or within a day or two. Oh, so, yeah, there we go. So Monday or Tuesday of next week. So by the time uh, this, uh, people are listening to this, it'll be audible yeah. uh, and available uh, in an audio format. And that, uh, I read it, which was mind-numbingly, uh, that's part of the mind-numbing success that Gary talks about. Reading your own book is difficult, but nevertheless, I did. And so, love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Thank you for thinking. And thank you for traveling the road less stupid. Well, there you have it. Part two of the habit that cost $100 million to learn and why it was worth it. What stood out to you folks? As Kaylin and I reflected on this conversation, uh, she shared that there's no secrets to this. It's ordinary things consistently done over time produces extraordinary results. One of those ordinary things is having clarity on the outcomes that you want out of your life. And based on that, you identify the priorities, the major initiatives that you can focus on in order of priority to achieve that goal or those outcomes. Based on that, you identify the strategies, the specific actions you can take, and you open up your planner like a one-thing planner and your digital calendar, and you time block them. The challenge with this is the novelty wears off. I can attest to this. After a year of thinking time, while you might be super jacked up to sit down with a great question and search for that answer, I promise you after a few weeks, the novelty does wear off. And then it starts to feel like the world is conspiring against you. You just feel so busy. You feel like you don't have the time for it. And it's in those moments that we fail to endure the monotony of success. So think big. Think big about being the type of person who regularly has time blocked to answer these great questions and go small. Identify your lead domino by asking, what's the one thing I can do? Such that by doing it, everything else would be easier or unnecessary. And if it's something you want to do repeatedly, consider going on a 66-day challenge to making it a habit that sticks. If you would like to check out Keith's book, The Road Less Stupid, it is available on Amazon as well as audible.com slash one thing. And if you would like to follow the model of the one thing in your thinking time blocks, go to the one thing.com slash training. Scroll down to the foundational course section and check out the get results with your 411 course. If this episode has helped you, please share it with at least one person today that you know needs to hear this. And if you are that person and you're listening to this for the first time, welcome to the One Thing Podcast. The best thing for you to do at this point is to click the subscribe button so all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device. And please do consider leaving us a rating and review. It ensures that number one, we get your feedback, which we absolutely read every single one. And it also helps us reach more people, which increases the impact that we have here on this planet. Thank you so much for being with us. And we look forward to being with you in the next episode.